Who is wise? The one who learns from others. Welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. This is a podcast where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond small talk and social media posts we're bombarded with on a daily basis. Join me on a journey where I speak to people from all backgrounds with different perspectives, each sharing their stories, struggles, and successes. Be a part of a community where you connect to something greater than yourself. I'm your host, Karen Corian, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. You are listening to episode 58 of Soul Sessions with KK. In this episode, I interview Lisa Septimus. She is a Yoetzet Halakha, otherwise known as a female halachic consultant. In this episode, Lisa talks to me about why there is a need for Yoetzot, especially in today's day and age. We also talk about how we can improve the mikveh experience for women, some of the common issues when observing Taharat Hamishbacha, and how Torah values can positively steer a marriage. As a teacher, Yoatzet, Kala teacher, Rebetzin, mother and wife, Lisa has incredible insight and wisdom to share with you. Whether you observe all the laws of family purity or not, you will gain so much from this episode. And to quote Lisa herself, you will open yourself up to new possibilities. Enjoy the show. I am honored to have Lisa Septimus on the show today. Lisa Septimus is a Yoetzet Halakha of the Five Towns. She teaches Talmud and women and Jewish law at North Shore Hebrew Academy High School, and she's the director of special programs. Lisa plays an active role as a Rebetzin at the Young Israel of North Woodmere, where she is involved with adult education and youth programming. Lisa, it's an honor to have you at the show. Thank you, Karen. I'm a huge fan. I'm and it's fan. so good to, to talk more in person. Or yes. Over Zoom. Over Zoom, yes. But yes. Although we did see each other in person Absolutely. a few times, and it was an honor. So, Lisa, can you tell us what a Yoetzet is? You are the Yoetzet Halakha of the Five Towns. Define what it is for those of us who don't understand what it is. Okay, sure. So, a Yoetzet Halakha, which means a halachic advisor, is a woman who has learned the laws of Nida and Mikvah extensively and then serves to give halachic guidance to and answer questions relating to these laws to, to women. And we're trained in, you know, the laws of Nida from the Gemara, Rishonim, Achronim, Sak, Halacha. Um, for over two years, we spend learning these laws uh, through Nishmat. Nishmat about eight years ago brought their program, which they created in Israel to the United States. And in addition to just learning Hilchot Nida and the laws of mikvah, we also are trained in areas of life that intersect with these laws, like learning about cer certain psychological um, issues, 
and emotional issues that tend to come up when practicing Nida, learning about health, health issues, whether it's PCOS to infertility to breast cancer, um, any, any issue that a woman who calls us might face, we don't, we don't become experts in those areas, of course, because those areas take years of training, but we become familiar with them and we are trained by some of the experts in those fields. Why is there a need for it when there are rabbis who are trained to answer these questions and help women in this area? Good question. And you know, the very first time I actually heard about Yoetz Halakha, I myself wasn't fully convinced because I had just gotten married. I happened to I happen to have been, I guess, more knowledgeable than your average woman in this area of halakha. And I was married to a rabbi. So maybe I felt confident in my own practice and I didn't, I didn't fully get it. But over the years, it's, it, it, it's amazing to see how needed it is and how appreciative women are. So first of all, women who don't necessarily experience major issues, but just have everyday questions that come up, need guidance in these laws. Um, because they are so personal in nature, because this isn't just about, I dropped my milk fork into the meat dish, but this is about something that is happening to my actual body. Not just happening to my body, but involving the areas in my body that I've been trained and taught and regard as so private and so personal. So even women with her regular questions in this area often feel so much more comfortable speaking about it with another woman than with a rabbi. And the rabbi could be the most well-meaning, the most knowledgeable, the most sensitive, the most caring, but it just is an area of where it's more comfortable to speak to a woman. Now, once you add to that, women who actually face serious difficulties, sexual disorders, health issues, hemorrhoids, whatever you know, uncomfortable issue they're dealing with, um, then even more so these women are much more comfortable speaking with a woman about these matters. One more thing, you know, when you're more comfortable, you end up telling your situation better. You end up describing what it is better and you get the right answer. Yes. And there's also less judgments, I feel. Yes. Yes. Like you don't want to be bothering the rabbi or like you don't want the rabbi to think of you in a certain way or your marriage or anything like that. But with a yoetzet, as you said, like a woman probably feels not just more comfortable, but she also feels like she gets her. She gets what she's talking about because she's a woman too. It's so funny because all the things you just listed. Yeah. I just recently like was thinking about the five reasons women turn to Yoatzot. And I described them as number one, no judgment. Not that. By the way, not that rabbis, God forbid, actually do judge. Right. But people feel, people feel self-conscious about being judged in general by other 
you know, human beings by other men or women, but it, it, it creates one, you know, one more level of feeling a little less judged if it's another woman who, you know, kind of is on your wavelength. So we go from no judgment to relatability because it's another female. So some of the issues that, you know, you're worried a man might see as vain, you know that a woman might connect to, relate to. You know that a woman knows that, sorry for being graphic, but that, that the, the discharge you experience before or after your period is common and understands and gets exactly what you're describing. So no judgment, relatability, explanations, because there's less awkwardness on the phone, you, you sit you there for explain, more. Right. Yeah. And I like to say also bringing the shalom into the bias. Yeah, explain because, that. Okay, because, you know, we talk about the importance of shalom bias, peace in the home. And we, 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 what we mean by that is that the, the, the husband and wife are getting along. Um, and of course, there's so many times that women have avoided asking Women have, you know, resented the halacha because they've been so strict on themselves. Um, and it's created a, or men have resented that their women are in, that the women are in need of for so long. And it, it just that sometimes need can cause tension. And often by becoming more informed, feeling more comfortable asking, talking through your issues, it can bring more shalom into the bias. It can, it can ease that tension that can come up around these laws. And what's number five? Ah, and now I almost forgot number five. Yeah. Um, oh, personal bound, respecting personal boundaries. I think that um, this has evolved over time, but the same way that, um, over time, women now don't feel as, like many women, not all, some women feel very comfortable with a male gynecologist, let's say, yeah. but many women don't anymore. They feel like they don't want their body exposed to a man in that way. And I think a lot of women who, you know, in, in previous generations wouldn't have given as much thought about it, it now feels that it's sometimes crossing a personal boundary for certain women that don't feel comfortable talking about their bodies or showing something that may have come from their body in front of a, someone of the opposite gender. Do you feel like there was a need for this maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or do you feel like the need for Yoetza came along with, you know, feminism and new trends, ever-changing technology? That's a great question. Um, I think there's always been a need for it. If you um, ever have the privilege to meet Rabbanit Hana Henkin, who is, who started Nishmat, and also this was really her brainchild, the concept of a Yoetzet Halakha, it came from her being a Rebetzin in Beit Shan in Israel. These were, she was serving women who were, you know, they were not approaching this with any bit of feminism or there, there was nothing like that. She just saw 
how in this area, people are so uneducated. I like to tell women that the reason they struggle with uh, remembering or knowing the halacha is that when it comes to the laws of Nida, we're all balchuvas. We're all balchuvas. Love that. Because, yeah, because we grow up, those of us who grew up our FFBs from, from birth, we grow up watching halachic practice all the time. We watch how families observe Shabbat. We watch how people observe Kashri. We watch how they pray. So we learn by osmosis. But you don't watch anyone follow the laws of Nida. You don't want, unless you're the mikvah lady, you don't watch <laughs> anyone go to the mikvah. So you right. have no real sense of normative practice. And you're relying on the little bit you learn, maybe a teeny bit in high school, a teeny bit in SEM, a marathon during your time as a Kala, but before you've ever practiced it and can wrap your head around it. And then maybe at some point you're like pregnant and nursing and you don't even observe it for like a couple of years and then you're still expected to remember. So we really are like Bali Chuva when it comes to Nida and we need more education. Even if you're so a college teacher, by the way. I am and so are you, right? Yeah, I constantly need to review it, constantly. And people think yeah. just because I've been doing it for seven years, I have all the information at the top of my head. I always have to right. look back, go to my sources. I have to ask the rabbi. Right. It's constantly refreshing and going over right. your material. Yeah. Sure, I love that. Well, you know, um, a line um, I read in a book, I, I don't remember now if it was Rev. Avram Peretz Friedman or some other, there's so many great, um, great writers on Nida out there, but they said, when it comes to marriage, there are very few laws that govern the intimate relationship between a husband and wife, meaning you're at the actual physical intimate relationship. There are very few laws that tell you how to do that. That's, that's for you as a couple to navigate. But when it comes to the time when you have to physically be separate, during Nita, there are endless details. Yeah. There are a lot of details and it's a lot to learn and it's a lot to absorb. So for, for those of us teaching it and certainly for those practicing it as well. That's so right. To get, getting back to your question though, so I think there's, this is not a new need, but I think it has become uh, it has only, the need has only increased. And I wouldn't say it's only because of our sensibility, because of Me Too movements or feminism. I'll also say it, it also, the need has also increased because of how many new birth controls are on the market. And the, how, how often women's bodies undergo changes. And so women are constantly calling me and they'll say, I never had to ask a Shiloh before. I never had to ask a question. And here I am, I'm 40 years old and I don't know what's going on. Or, so 
even those who think I have a totally predictable body, I got this covered, I got it down. Yeah. You switch birth controls, something changes, you start your perimenopause, whatever it is. And, and, and suddenly you feel a little bit at a loss. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say you're the Yoetzer Halakha of the five towns, does that mean only people from the five towns can call you? Um, only Ashkenazi women? Do you also deal with Svardi Halakha? When I finished my training as a Yoetzer, I met with a number of rabbis in the five towns of a few different shuls, and we had to decide how was this going to work? Was I working for shuls? Was I working for a community? And at the time we agreed that we wanted this to be a community resource for anyone who wanted to call from any shul, from any, you know, Ashkenaz, Sparty, whoever it is who needed this service, who felt comfortable would, would be able to call. So, and, and that goes also, it, it, it was in, the vision was to serve the five towns and to have the five towns financially support this. Um, but I never, it, it's my policy that I don't ask people where they're calling from. And I know sometimes people offer anyway, and, and uh, you know, the majority are calls from women in the five towns, but they're women in Great Neck who call me, especially because I used to be the Yoetz at Halakha in Great Neck. Sadly, they don't have one currently. No. Um, but I, but I wish that had, I wish we had been able to maintain that position. Um, and I get calls from West Hempstead and Oceanside, and I get calls from Florida or Manhattan. Like sometimes people just know you. And once you have an Instagram presence also, sometimes someone's yeah. following you and they ask you a question. You're not going right. to say, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. limit it to neighborhoods. Right. So I'm wondering, what are some of the common questions you receive from women? Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> the, the most common question that like, I mean, I literally answer at least two, three times a day. Can I guess? Is, <laughs> is, is, is not that glorious, but it's really about the difference between staining and flow. I knew it. <laughs> okay. You, you could have predicted. I mean, oh, my children my could probably answer this question already. I think that's but, the number um, one question I get as a college it, and, and I definitely think this has become the number one question because as I mentioned, so many women, especially who are on different birth controls now, many of them, number one, cause every time you switch birth controls, you're going to have staining. And a lot of, and the trend now is to have lower levels of estrogen right. in birth control, which also- Yeah, which has a downside. Means, you, could, <laughs> you could have more staining, but also it means that even when you're supposed to have your period and you're on the placebos, you may get such a light period that you don't know what to do with it. And you don't, want, you don't know what to regard it. So I, I try to help women navigate it. I've sort of, we, we've, many so calls talk about something called the panty liner test. And um, as a way of determining, you know, how, mu how much are you seeing? Does it really qualify as a flow in which we would 
all opinions would agree that you are 100% in Nida once you have that versus a staining where the lines are more blurry, blurry and then we have to discuss whether or not you're in Nida. What was one of the weirdest, maybe not weird, but strangest questions you've ever received? Or is there no strange question? <laughs> you know, people always call and they say, I have such an embarrassing question. Um, and I usually don't find their question that embarrassing. I've really heard it all. Um, a lot of times people um, will be a little shy or, I mean, I guess they're calling, so thankfully not that shy, but they will, um, they'll, they'll have, if they see something within an intimate act, okay, within, you know, some sort of uh, sexual experience, then they're naturally a little bit uncomfortable uh, to have to describe it and to have to tell me the details of what was going on. And I think that, uh, you know, it's funny, we, I was talking before about the five reasons that people like calling a Yoet set, but one thing I, I neglected to mention is that for many, they like calling the Yoet set because they can be anonymous. And yes. I try not to save people's numbers in my contacts. And I have a separate Yoetset number um, so that it's not appearing on WhatsApp where you see people's names a lot. Um, it, it's a Google voice number and, and it really is anonymous. In fact, there are times people call me and they've called me before and they think I know who they are and I really have no clue who I'm speaking to. And if they want me to know, I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll follow up with that. But I, I purposely don't save numbers in order, you know, in order to keep people anonymous if they want to be. That's great. That's yeah. great. I think the anonymous factor really helps people open up and not feel ashamed of what they're going through or what they're asking. So that's, right. that's a great part of being a Yoetzet. So right. let's talk about the mikveh. I noticed in the last couple of years, maybe it was because of COVID and like the mikveh experience is not the same. Kala teachers and their kalas, the way they learned about the mikveh was about, it's like a spa day and it's such a beautiful experience. It's your day off, you know, all of that. But many women have been feeling jaded from going to the mikveh, whether mm -hmm. it's not because it's not the same anymore or it's just life just became harder and it gets it gets difficult to go to the mikveh to like leave everything behind crying kids bedtimes trying to find a babysitter if your husband's not home so mm -hmm. it feels very overwhelming what are some ways we can make the mikveh experience more comfortable for women okay good really good question Thanks. so first of all one thing that I love about you and your podcast and your Instagram presence and, and about myself too, I'll include, is that I think even opening up these conversations is a good first step. So sometimes, you know, um, the more we, you know, the more we talk about it, first of all, a woman who is struggling, who is feeling pressure or stress, 
just to be able to give voice to that can sometimes already start relieving the stress, just not holding it privately inside. So that can actually be step one. Plus, sometimes I've noticed, like I've spoken to a woman who has this like positive, amazing experience. And if I share her thoughts, like how it inspired her, what it gave her, that also has a ripple effect. Not, not ironically hearing it always from the teacher or from the Torah personality, but sometimes hearing another woman's perspective, which who still may be in that inspired or positive place can make another woman pause and be like, oh, wow, that's interesting that she thinks of it that way. Like, I wonder if I could reframe it for myself or wow, I used to think of it that way. And like, it brings that back. So, so sometimes sharing these ideas already is part of a reframe that helps. Um, I think one good thing that came out of COVID is that it, it you know, people saw some new possibilities. You know, um, some women thought like they always um, need that that flexibility and running in where they can. And some, now you had to make an appointment. And some people said, hmm, I actually like making a, an appointment or I like, I miss doing all my prep at the mikvah, right? So now if they missed it, they'll know, I wanna go back to that spa day experience and give that to myself. Or you know what, forget that. It was so much easier to run in quickly. And so I think um, options, is is one powerful thing. I know that at one of the mikvahs in the five towns, um, the, one thing that has not yet changed is the mikvah lady who used to hold the towel up always, which was fine, the, the robe up, she now turns her back while you hang up the robe yourself, enter the water, and she'll tell you to let her know when you're in the water. And I thought, wow, that's really, and, and the other mikvahs went back to the towel being, the robe being held. And I thought, wow, women now have options. Maybe some woman doesn't want to, to have the robe held up, you know, in front of her. And maybe that's a little close for comfort. And now she has this mikvah experience where maybe that a little more distance is comfortable for her. So, I like that COVID made us rethink how we're doing things and figure out what works for us. I love the reframing. Yeah, honoring what is difficult, you can do that and still help a woman figure out like, yes, I know it's challenging, but what can we do that's practical to make it easier to get there and give you a meaningful moment? So maybe it's like every time I go to the mikvah, I started doing this, I say a refuah shlema in the mikvah for, you know, for someone. Some women in those mikvah years, they are very not engaged in communal Jewish life. And this might be their one experience. So if we can help women 
say, okay, it's stressful. My kids are running around. I had to get a babysitter, but I'm here now. And now that I'm here, how am I going to find a connection? And it could be one minute. Doesn't have to be more time. It could be one way to feel the meaning of that moment. For I you. love that. Love that. Because yeah. I was going to ask you, you know, because some people don't feel that spiritual rejuvenation. They just, right. they dunk, they come out. Like they just went to a regular pool. They got wet. That's it. Okay, go home. But then other women, I feel like God's presence. I feel like such a special bond. But, you know, some people don't feel that. So you just answered my question. Yeah, but I want to, you know, it's fun. I like that you asked that also, because I want to say one other thing, which is even if you don't feel it, you've done the mitzvah. And that's the essence. You shouldn't, you shouldn't feel guilty about it if you don't feel that rejuvenation. But if you want to, if you want to experience the spirituality, you don't, you don't have to close off that possibility for yourself either. Beautiful. I love um, the options. Yeah. So yeah. my, my mikvah dream, yeah. which is like so five towns of me, but hey, I am the five towns <laughs> Yoetzit. So come on. Be who you um, are. <laughs> but even before living in the five towns, women, I, one of the struggles that a lot of women have with going to the mikvah has to do with nails. Yes. I'm putting it out there. <laughs> it seems vain, but a lot of women, it's frustrating for them to have to take off their manicure plan it, schedule it for working women. Then they are worried about going to work the next morning without it. I, these are calls I get. By the you way, that's the to... second most common question. Okay. Maybe After not staining. Second, but it, it, I don't know second, but it definitely is a very oh, up there. common question. Very up there. Um, and, and, and by the way, you asked me about Ashkenaz, Sparty, Psach. So women always try to say, if I'm sparty, can I keep, what if I'm one eighth sparty? Can I keep on my nail polish? So anyway, um, that is, and it's, and by the way, it's complicated because um, there are certain leniencies in Hilfot Nida that Spartan have that women, that Ashkenazi women don't. The most right. obvious being the four day mm. versus five day wait uh, before you count Shavinakiam. But but what's interesting is that in many Sephardi communities, they actually have taken on some of the chumras that Ashkenazim have. So you really do have to sometimes ask the Rav of the community what sock you can't just, it's not always this blanket statement that like all Sephardim take on this, you know, follow right. Rav Avad Yosef or follow the Shulchan Aruch and Ashkenazim follow you know, yeah. the Ramah, the Ashkenazi posing. Right. It's not, it's not so clear cut. It is, it can be different. What's your and, dream? Anyway, my dream. Here yeah. we go. The dream is to bring in some manicurists into the, into the mikvah. <laughs> now you may think I'm amazing. Crazy, no, that's great. But I really feel that it's sad to me speaking about the spiritual experience I think that one thing that holds women back from experiencing the spirituality is the stress, is the prep. 
Now, some of it is like you said, just like the sitter, the babe, the kids, the this, the that. But another thing is the, the externals and the nails. And not that every woman would want to. Some women don't want to spend any extra time in the mikvah. And why would they want to worry about nails when they're going back to their husbands? But for some, that would that would be something that makes the that makes the experience more dignified for them, that they feel that they really have attended to their personal care and needs. And I don't think women should be shamed for wanting that. Yeah. I think we should enable it. We spend so much money building beautiful mikvot. And if we can make the experience of it also that much more beautiful and comfortable for women, why wouldn't we? So your idea would be that after a woman immerses in the mikveh, she'd be able to get a manicure? Um, yeah. I mean, my idea nice. would be that she does the first half pre-dunk. Mm. Your nails are prepped for you. Yes. They are, the polish is removed, filed down, cut, cleaned, everything, you know? Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> you get to, you know, then you take your shower, you dunk, and you and the polish is put on after. That's it. A girl could dream. That's <laughs> that's great. Yes. So you know, we'll we'll see which mikvah does it first. Please, I, I always up. <laughs> heard rumors that there is one in Brooklyn that has this. Oh, okay. Well, that's beautiful. Hopefully, your dream can become a reality because yeah, <laughs> I like what you said about honoring your needs and like making it dignified. And there's no shame in like wanting to have your nails be nice. Maybe some women feel like, oh, I don't want to be shallow and materialistic. Why do I have to care about that? But no, you're saying like your personal needs, your personal desires, personal care is very important. So right. I love that. I love what you said about that. I, I don't think it, I don't think your personal care should be higher than your halakhic observance. But right. if we if we can help women do both besimcha, we why we not? Yeah. yeah, beautiful. So I want to now take the conversation to all the laws that are between a man and a woman when they are separated. The behavior that they need to hold when a woman is nida, right? So no touching, right. no kissing no physicality, but many men and women, they express their love only through physical touch. So like from the five love languages, physical touch is their primary and only love language. So what happens is that when the woman is nida, there's a lot of strain on the marriage because there's no touching. So right. what would you advise to couples who struggle with this aspect of Nida? That they're not able to touch and talking is not exactly their way of bonding. So first of all, I guess where I might disagree with you slightly. Okay, I like that. Is is when you talk about physical touch being someone's love language. Okay. Um, there, 
you know, uh, I know the five love languages are very popular. Yes. And, <laughs> and it definitely, it definitely rings true for, for men, for some people, but I don't believe that there's someone who exclusively has only one love language, only one way of relating. And I think that the Torah with the laws of Nida, especially wants you to build a repertoire of more than one, you know, That's right. it's very often that, uh, yeah, before everyone read this book on the five love <laughs> language, many people got married before that. Yeah. And many people married people whose primary love language was different than their own. So does yeah. that mean that your marriage isn't a success? No, I mean, hopefully, I think what, what, has, what often happens is that couples have to respect the other person's way of expressing love, both in terms of learning to take in their way of love. For example, if a man's way of love language is, let's say, physical touch, um, and that's one of the ways he wants to express his love to his partner and show his love, then, and, and she, you know, her way of, of her love language is a little bit more towards, you know, uh, gifts or, 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 or shared time, she has to learn to, to understand that he's trying to show love in another way and not feel rejected. Um, and he also has to learn to try to express outside of his natural language as well. So I think that within, um, marriage during the times when a woman is in Nida and they have to uh, observe the harfakot, I think it is a time that couples do need to practice um, working on, on, other, on other forms of affection, on other forms of connection. And, and by the way, touch is, you know, sometimes it, it can be used as a cover for, for other forms. It's like, can you elaborate yeah, on that? Well, I feel that when, when you're not feeling as in sync and connected, it's, it's simpler. Rather, mm -hmm. than, rather than admitting it, rather than talking about it, rather than spending time and maybe feeling like, uh-oh, are we going to have anything to say? at this restaurant when we go together or are we going to get in another <laughs> argument about something isn't it easier to just you know be yeah. together physically and i don't even mean always you know yeah. actual sex it, even it's just a hug i'll give yeah. someone a hug and then we'll you know sort of put to the side the ways that we feel a little less connected right now so um so i think it takes work i think the harfako are not easy and it takes work when a woman's in Nita. But I think in the long run, um, it also is potential for a relationship to grow. Yeah. Any challenge, any challenge that you go through in as a individual and as a couple has the potential to make you stronger or of course to you know, if you don't rise to that challenge, make you weaker. Yeah. Now, I, 
I don't want to minimize that it's hard for couples. I was thinking about this just the other day. I was thinking like the people who are really observing these extra harchakot, right? The I shouldn't say extra that that observe yeah, the harchakot, so right? They are they are those who are most observant, right? Who are observing the full range of halacha. And what we would assume that when they were dating, they were also not physically intimate. So I was just talking to someone the other day and saying, why is it that people are struggling so much with this um, in marriage and not, um, and yet when they were dating, they were able somehow to develop a connection or- right. So I realized that when you, when, when you don't, when you don't have that form of intimacy, yes, you have to rely on other forms, but once you have had it, once you're married and now you became used to expressing yourself through hugs, through touch, through handholding, through cuddling together, whatever it is. And of course, through actual sexual experiences as well, then the times when you don't have it, it's not like it was when you were dating anymore. It's, right, because you didn't experience party. that, right. Yeah. You tasted yeah. the forbidden fruit. So now right. you just, yeah. I'm, I've had women express to me how the times that they're separate are the times they have the most arguments with their spouses because there's just, whether it's sexual tension or the husband is totally removed because they feel like, okay, since we can't be together, then, okay, I'll just go out every night. Like you do your thing. I do my thing. We're like, we're living together, but we're separate. They literally like when they're physically separate, it's as if they're like fully separate. They're strangers in the home. And yeah. many women express frustration and lack of connection and all of these problems and issues that come only when they're nida, that their husband's primary way of connecting is through physicality. And, right. you know, I know the Torah, thank God we have the Torah that encourages men and women to develop these different aspects of themselves, that we're not just animals and we're not just connecting in that way, but there's so many other ways to connect and bond, not just through talking, you know, like right. there's other ways. It's, it's a real problem. And I think every single couple has experienced it at some point. Yeah. Every single couple. I try to warn brides I teach about it because I, I remember when I was first married also, it was just sort of natural. It was like, Oh, when we were like planning our schedules, it's like, oh, well, if I'm in need of like, we're going to work late one night, this should probably be the time. And at first it just seems we were like on the same page. Like it just seems practical for both of us because there's like that extra layer of restriction. It's not because we can only bond physically, just, but what happens is slowly it, it can build negativity towards the mitzvah. It can build a resentment, like as I think in time, as couples 
you know, go, everyone, every marriage goes through ups and downs and every marriage goes through times when you're more or less connected. And what's going to happen is at a time when you're a little less emotionally connected, I, I think you're gonna, people are going to, many women, especially it could happen in the other direction, but I've seen right. it more with women Yeah, are going to be, start to feel sensitive to it. And I remember when I was learning Nida the very first time I was actually single, wasn't in the Yoetsa program. I was uh, learning it in GPATS. It's like the stern, um, Gemara Halakha program in graduate school, mm. the only single woman. Wow. And one, and one of the, one of the married women said, you know, mikvah night's difficult for me because I come home and I feel like a piece of meat. I could not understand in a million years what she was talking about as a single woman, yeah. because you, you have desire every, like you're like imagining, wouldn't you just be so excited and want to be together? And I think though, that if a couple doesn't spend enough time together, and if a woman feels like her husband is running out of the house when she's in Nida, that's part of what causes the ickiness upon the return of mikvah night. So it's really important to work on that, to have a couple of nights when you're in Nida that are like bonding nights. Yeah, game night, date night, which doesn't have to be out of the home. Yeah, um, it can yeah. even just be watching a movie together. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. have to be so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I'm glad you brought that up, which brings me to like one of the questions I had for you, where you said this woman felt like she was a piece of meat every time there was a mikvah night. So mikvah night has become associated with like, you must have intercourse that night, you know? And a lot of women have told me that they feel this pressure that like, it must happen. They must perform no matter what. Um, even if the couple got into a big argument that day, it has to happen. And then, you know, they were advised like, go to the mikveh and make up and that's it. How can Jewish leaders address the challenge when one of the spouses wants to be sexually intimate, sexually intimate and the other one doesn't? Okay. So first- A loaded is, question, sorry. First is that consent is always necessary. You are not allowed, like you always have the ability to say no whether it's that you don't want to be intimate at all, or whether it's just, you know, the way the, you know, what's being asked of you, you don't, or you don't want to engage in. Consent is necessary and you can say no. Now, that being said, um, I do think that there, and, and one other thing, there are uh, ways, there's an idea that when you go to the mikvah, you want to show that you have had a change in status. Yeah. But you can, you can show that even by giving each other a hug. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be right away through intercourse. Um, so that's important to keep in mind. 
I do think that sometimes when it comes to sexuality, it's good for people to be open to the possibility of, let's say, repairing the relationship of, because we all would love in our ideal um, sex, sexual intercourse is an expression of how close we feel, but sometimes it also is a means to helping us feel closer to one another. That's right. And we shouldn't forget that also. So again, God willing, most marriages are very long and they all go through ups and downs and everyone has arguments sometimes. So, you know, we want, we want to strengthen our marriages, not in a way that we should ever feel forced or pressured or that the halacha demands, no. But in a way that if we are trying to give ourselves the best chance towards a good relationship and towards happiness, then we have to open ourselves up to forgiveness, to moving forward, to new connections, to new possibilities, to new ways of feeling. And also to, to also please your partner, that it's not only about you. It's also about right. someone else's needs. You have needs, they have needs. And it's also like just being open, right. like you said. You know, the other thing is that so much of pleasure is sometimes when you really feel that you are giving someone else pleasure, it is that itself raises your own desire. You know, um, it's sometimes hard, it, it's hard to, to feel that beforehand. It's hard yeah. to remember that. And I'm, I'm not minimizing how difficult it can be if you fought that day, if you feel stressed, if you don't feel in the mood to, to put yourself in the mood. But um, I often tell women that I believe in scheduling sex. And I think sometimes the mikvah actually is a little bit of that schedule because it helps, I think, people who, you know, often can be weighed down with just life in a way that can kill some of a person's desire when they expect, when they know that they're going to try to be intimate, it, it, it opens themselves up to that possibility of feeling desire. That's right. I, I don't know if this is a good comparison, but I feel like it's kind of related to exercising where like, you don't wanna go, you don't wanna get dressed up. Put your Lululemons on, <laughs> get ready, put your sneakers on, get to the car, drive to the gym or the dance studio. Right. But once you get to the studio, to the gym and you start warming up, that's it. You're into it. Like you right. get into it. So I don't know. It just reminded me of it, exercising. It is, it, it is a very good metaphor for some people. <laughs> you know <laughs> although I still need to get myself to exercise <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm thinking maybe not the best metaphor for me because exercise <laughs> is really tough for me, but <laughs> same here. <laughs> but, yeah. God willing. Um, soon, soon. So um, I was actually thinking of something else. I know we're going to wrap up the conversation soon, but like, I really wanted to get this question out. Mm-hmm. For those people who don't observe Saharara Mishpacha and they don't really feel a need for it. They have healthy, nice, intimate lives. What would you say to those people? I mean, should they, should they observe family purity? Does observing Tara Mishpacha, does it guarantee Shalom Bait? Does it guarantee peace in the home? Or is it just an added benefit? Another loaded question for you. <laughs> Absolutely. And there were a lot of questions in there, but yeah. um, <laughs> so, so first of all, I'll start with your last question. Okay. Now, nothing can guarantee Shalom Bayit. Keeping Nida, going to mikvah, it's not a magic potion. Just going through the motion and keeping the halacha alone is not going to make your marriage great. I think, I think, first of all, we, we spoke a lot about the way we frame things, right? Yeah. I think one of the gifts that Nida can give you, another thing I often say about Nida is it's like holding up a magnifying glass to what's going on in your life for good and for bad. It sometimes creates, you know, if you're going through a stressful time, people can find it magnified by Nida or the opposite. But one thing I like is in it, the mitzvah makes us conscious. It makes it us, you're less likely to just go through every day as the same in your marriage, because you do notice the times in Nida versus the times in not Nida um, differently. And therefore it's an invitation to do the work that comes along with making your marriage great. Not that it's gonna make your marriage great on its own, but it's really a reminder and an invitation that you should put in your peace also to accomplish in your marriage and to allow what we say about Nida, that Nida should make the marriage more special and, and it should you know, have times that build the desire that won't happen automatically, but with you being conscious of it and working towards it, you have the possibility to, have, to make it happen. Now, if you're not observing Nida, so first of all, let me, let me say, obviously as someone who is a Yo'etzet Halacha, literally <laughs> advising in Halacha, yes, I believe in Torah and mitzvot and in its not only being something that we're bound to do, but being something that enriches our lives. So of course, I'm an advocate for everyone doing it. That being said, there are many different levels of observance out there. And there are plenty of good people with great marriages and great families who are not observant. And one thing, I actually just mentioned to my students today 
my students who also really run the spectrum of religious observance. I said that two people are always going to be separate individuals, but when they get married, they want to share a vision. They want to share values. They want to look towards something together. That's part of the beauty of building yourself into a unit, into a couple, into a family. For those who observe halacha, whether that be tarat hamishpacha, Shabbos, the whole corpus of halacha, it adds direction, it adds value, it adds something to look towards together, to build towards, sets goals for you. If for whatever reason, you're not halachically observant, then you also should think about, especially if you're, I'm assuming the audience here, a Jewish audience, what are my Jewish values? What is important to me? What does define what my goals are and what I want for my family? And as much as for me, that should be, the halachic observance should be in there. If for whatever reason it's not for you, make sure it's something. Make sure whether it's the sense of community or being there for others or being a giving person, standing by my family, whatever it is, know your, know your goals and your vision and look together as a couple towards that. That will strengthen your marriage. Beautiful. You answer the question so eloquently that it, it gives an answer for anyone, no matter where they are. So thank you. My pleasure. You have great questions. I love it. <laughs> thank you. I have, I do have one more question because it does come up often in my community. I'm not sure if it happens in other communities. I notice that sometimes there's one partner that wants to keep all the laws and the other partner doesn't want to do it. So how can a newly married couple bring this vision together when one person has a completely different idea than the other one? Right. When it comes to Tarot Mishpacha. It, it definitely is tough because as a po I mean, in general, for a young couple, if they're not on the same page of observance, it's gonna be hard. Because even when you are on the same page of observance, yeah. coming together as, as a couple and raising children is challenging. Um, and when you're not on the same page, you're gonna, going to have all the more parenting challenges um, and lifestyle challenges, particular with Nida, because Again, it's all about what you can, how, how you can function together, where, how you can touch as a couple. Right. It's really, really tough. I think that sometimes though, it depends. Sometimes uh, um, there is, you know, the couple's not exactly on the same page of observance, but one person is okay being pulled up a little and lifted up, or at least they think they will be before they're married. And then they start to resent it. Um, I think you can't, it, 
you know, my bias is that if someone feels that this is something important that they have to observe, we have to, we can't force a person not to observe the law. But I think that, that the part, the, the person in the couple who does not want to observe Nida, we have to give, we have to understand where they're coming from. What's bothering them? What's hardest? Is it that they resent that they can't be together during that time and they're really, really struggling? First of all, maybe the wife, may, maybe if it's the woman who wants to observe Nida and the man who doesn't, what's going on? Is she in Nida for a very extended amount of time? Maybe, maybe they need help and halachic guidance. Maybe it's become very burdensome and they're not observing it the way they should. There might be leniencies that, that, that aren't being observed correctly. So right. we, have to, we have to look at that. We also have to look at what's going on in their dynamic. You know, maybe like you were saying before with love languages, maybe something is off in their dynamic when she's Anita. But there's also the possibility that just sometimes people are cynical about the halacha. It feels silly to them. And, and there's something that irks them just about the observance altogether. And that's really, that, that I really don't have an easy answer for. That's just something that the couple has to work on either with a therapist or with each other to really respect each other. Yeah. To really yeah. say like, yeah, I'm married to you, but I respect you and your individuality and your choices. And she's not trying to change him and say, you don't have to like this halakha. I respect that you don't necessarily believe in it. And he's respecting her that she does and wants to observe that. Yeah, that's a great answer. I know it's not an easy answer. Yeah, I notice it amongst the couples who, let's say they're on the same page when they get together, but then the woman or the husband learns with a rabbi or the girl goes to shiur and she gets inspired and she's like, wow, I wanna do this. And the guy's like, wait, what? Like, what are you talking about? Right. Like, this wasn't right. part of the plan. <laughs> right. That's where I see it often. But you know what? It's, there's always going to be things that weren't part of the plan. Yeah. Your spouse is gonna, or you are going to change. It's inevitable. And there are always going to be some changes that are great and some changes that you don't like. That's so right. it's just a matter of where you're gonna find them. Well, Lisa, I really, I learned so much from you and whoever's listening right now, you are an incredible teacher. Thank and you. And from what yeah. I see, you are an amazing Yoetzet Halacha. And Thank if you. anyone has any questions, anything at all regarding Taharada Mishpacha, the mikveh, anything, Lisa's here to help you. And God willing, we should have many more you are so talacha to guide women. We need women halachic consultants because it's very necessary. Lisa, do you have one final message for your audience? Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that um, 
so much of what we spoke about tonight is really, you know, opening yourself up to new possibilities. So wherever you were coming into this conversation, whether it's, uh, whether there was an aspect of Mida or mikvah or your marriage or whatever it, or, or, or who knows, your own observance that you were a little bit struggling with, I hope that you will be open to thinking about it in a new way, figuring out how to make it a little bit easier, a little bit better, a little bit more inspired. Not major changes, but always accepting and knowing that um, little movements can go a long way. Thank you. Beautiful. And Lisa, where can people find you if they want to contact you? Okay. Thank you. They can. I'm on Instagram at Five Towns Yoetzet. I have a website, five, and the number five, fivetownsyoetzet.org. And there's a contact page on there. So you can email me and my phone number is on that website. So look me up and I hope to hear from some of you. And Karen, I thank you so much for, you know, giving voice to Yoetzot and the work we do and to so many important Jewish issues that you feature on this podcast. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Lisa. You too. Good night. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and feel free to reach out with feedback and questions. If you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at coach.kk and check out the link in my bio. Let's connect.